Hey, welcome back to RuneLanders. I'm your host and Dungeon Master, DM RuneWise, otherwise known as Adam, and with me for the credits today is the player of Calder, Mr. Sean Yo. Say hi, Sean. Hey there, everyone. This is Sean. I play Master Lock Calder, purveyor of the finest curiosities and small wonders. Uh, so before we begin this episode, I'd like to thank you for sticking with us through the first part of the first season as we got through our growing pains. Hope it wasn't too much for you. Um, going forward, we have much better sound quality, and we're using a program called Craig, which we absolutely adore. So yeah, if you want to check out Craig, just go to craig.chat. Uh, uh, as you may or may not know, we use Discord to uh, both for our community, but also for recording all of our sessions. And Craig does a great job of uh, taking everything we record and making it super easy for us to uh, get that into post-production and sound better and better every episode. It does make it a lot easier to sort everything out. You can like Craig gives everybody on the Discord a separate track. So in post in production, while you're mixing and cutting and chopping, you can uh, adjust tracks and speakers individually. It's really changed our game and our sound quality. You'll see going forward. Um, anyway, our next announcement is uh, first for sure. Try Craig. Uh, it'll change your game all over the place. Next thing, we noticed that a bunch of you around the world have been listening to us, and we want to hear what you think. We have listeners in the UK and all over Europe, and as far away as Colombia. So uh, reach out to us. If you want to do that, you can get us at our email, runelanders at gmail.com, or any of our social media outlets. We're on Facebook as uh, Runelanders and on Twitter at Cast the Runes. There will be more outlets coming up, and uh, we should be available pretty much wherever you get podcasts. So if this is your first episode, welcome aboard. And if you're rejoining us, welcome back. For uh, for the emails and Twitter stuff, you know, uh, we're really looking forward to hearing from you. And we're, we, uh, we promise we're going to read everything. Um, and uh, as best as we can, we're going to reply to you. Uh, but uh, we're also uh, looking forward to sharing the best on the podcast so uh you know uh it looks like we have one one listener in oregon so if you're hearing this oregon reach out because uh it's you we're talking to you right now because you're the only one in oregon anyways super excited to see uh so many people listening around the world and uh, we really want to hear from you uh, on uh, what you like and uh and what what you're hoping for in the future and we're really excited to share uh, the the best of those letters and comments uh, on the podcast coming up Let's not forget the East Coast listeners either. We do have a couple out in Newfoundland and Labrador. Boise boys, that's some good one. How's she going, boss? Yeah, let us know. Tell us what's uh, tell us what's happening. Tell us if you like us. If you think we suck, let us know that too. We only want to get better. So um, that's going to cover all that. We should get into the recap. Last episode, actually, Sean, why don't you kick it off? Thanks, Adam. Yeah, in the last episode, episode five, the rat, the witch, and the warlock, uh, we saw some uh, really exciting stuff happen. We uh, got to get a peek into how Mister Stitch came to Bailey Mina. Got a, a glimpse uh, into uh, into his past with uh, Arabet. Both why uh, Stitch and Arabet are such good friends, but also why Arabet is such a pain in the ass. And we had uh, a discussion with Mister Thrasher as we check in on our progress uh, solving his rat problem. He certainly seemed to think it went his way in the end, but we know different. 
Uh, if you haven't listened to the episode and you, uh, well, you really should. It's uh, this episode starting shortly. We're going to pick up uh, concurrently with the dinner as Magma and Calder go for a night on the town of Jahiris Bronstos. Now you're up to speed. That's the recap. So get ready, Runatics, and let's roll. promenade uh, the street isn't too terribly filthy even though we are heading into the orcish quarter which is you know getting close to littleton and the purview we now know of the army of were rats so you go into you go into bronze tusks rusty axe so so on the way to Brus- bronze tusks um, a block or two away i uh Calder's little head nod to Magma and uh, steps into uh, an alleyway, making sure that there are uh, no observers. I take the uh, ragged gray wool cloak that I've put over uh, my, uh, my clothes and I pull up the hood. I cast Alter Self to an old, somewhat toothless, grizzled fisherman. And uh, then I look at Magma and I say, Remember, lass, you know know me. And then... Uh, See you in a few minutes. And I head off and I uh, go find a skulky corner to uh, nurse a Muggagrog. All right. She will kind of hang back a little bit to let Calder go and do his thing, kind of get himself settled a little bit. And as a matter of fact, she'll, you know, kind of wander off down the street just a little bit to go and find that Cartman that had the, 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 the barbecued rat. <laughs> See if he's... Yep, he's there. He's got... Uh bunch of barbecued meat but this doesn't look like rat at all he's like uh, seagull get your braised seagull how about i give you money not to sell this this is all i can get rats have dried right up it's gonna be grilled gall it's grilled gall grilled gall it's i know it's yeah i know I know. I'm not making any money on this shit. How are you doing? I'm doing very well. How about you, sir? Oh, I'm all right. I just thought I'd come over to see if you happen to have any grilled rat, but I'll take one of the squabs here, and she'll hand him a couple of coins. Actually, she'll oh, hand God, him more Oh, God, no, don't, than... don't, don't take it. No, don't give me any money for this. Just take it. Just take this. It's terrible. Like, I mean, it tastes like squab with rat spice. What the fuck? I can't sell this shit. We're, we're working on it. Uh, I'm sure we'll figure out what the problem is soon. 
Well, I don't know. Maybe they did figure out the problem, and that's 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 what the problem is. I'm gonna go broke here. I don't know. I'm gonna have to sell those shitty sausages full of goop. Maybe they'll grill up. Who knows? Oh, I don't know. Hmm. Oh, what about snake? There's snake? gotta be snake. Hey, did, yeah, but did, like, I mean, they're all out in the swamps and things. And hey, good idea. Thanks a lot, lady. Have a squab. Have another squab. Oh, I, I couldn't possibly. <laughs> Can I pour you a crab juice? The back home we call it crab collage. <laughs> Absolutely. Right, crab collage. Yeah, here it's it's on me. And he cracks open a fat can of this of this stuff, and it's uh, you know, he gets out his can opener and he twists the top off, and it 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 it, it fizzes as he takes it out of the cooler. It's like. And he, like, screws the top off it, and he peels the label and hands you the can. And you're sitting there with your grilled squab, which, you know, admittedly is not as horrible as you thought, but still lacks the uh, the subtleties of rat. And uh, in it's kind of nauseating. But, uh, I mean, this crack-a-lash, it, it's actually quite fine. Um, reminds you of the stuff you used to get at the corner store when you were a kid. Oh, this takes me back. Thank you, sir. Um, she'll finish off her, her drink and go, at least it wasn't that mountain refreshing stuff that keeps being peddled around. That's right. So, and, I mean, uh, you, you finish, you finish it up, chuck the can into a bin and saunter into Bronze Tusk's rusty axe. The place is, uh, it, the place is fairly busy. There's a, there's a band, they're an orcish band. So, I mean, it's mainly percussion and, and a lot of jangling guitars and uh, growling and, and graveling and shit like that and orcish. Um, so I've been sitting there for uh, for a while. Um, what What is the halfling situation in the room? There aren't any. There are no halflings here at all? Well, there are no halflings that you can see in here. In fact, most of the clientele appears to be at least partially orcish. Well, that, was, that was expected. But the, no, there's, there are no halflings in here tonight. Magma walks in a minute later. Right. And uh, you can, from where you can see, you know, is led over to a spot at the bar where she pulls up a stool and, you know, the bartender waves to her in a friendly manner and comes over and asks her what she wants. And that's where we're going to shift over to Magma's perspective. Uh, yes. <clears throat> hello. What can I do for you? Oh, hello, darling. Good to see your smiling, happy face again. This is, uh, th this is actually not Jaharis. This is a slimmer, younger orc um, who doesn't have any scars at all, in fact. She calls them all smiley, happy faces. Right. Very good. So, so he's like, yes, yeah. uh, you are Jaharis' new friend. Protégé? Protégé. My comedy is not so good. Do you speak orc? Uh, I do not, unfortunately, speak orc. Oh, yeah, come stand your gaki. Okay, I'll try common. Jairis uh, is my, Jairis is my uncle, you see. That means oh, we are now I family. See. Whoa, for, uh, she kind of backs up a little bit and gives him side eye and is like, how do you mean family? It means that Jairis says you are his Partner for, um, Jingoi. 
you know, clash. Um, uh, oh, oh, yeah, of yes, of course. Uh, I, I know. Uh, you I know say, to which you are referring. You say, to and, he, and, and, and he gestures with his fist, like he's banging his fist together. Like, uh, yes, the 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 fads. Yes. Yeah, and I mean, even as he does this, that there's that impress. Like he's wearing a he's wearing a nice shirt, and it's done up. The buttons don't bulge or anything. You know, it, it's properly fitted to an orcish physique, but st- and it's got short sleeves, but. Like, god damn that orcish physique. They're just they're just all muscle. You know, every every time he moves there's all kinds of muscles everywhere in motion. But he's kinda chuckles and is like, you know, I admire I I must say that I, I do admire your uncle greatly. I did get the the opportunity to behold some of his 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 prowess, and I see that it carries on within the family line. He's Mustin Kishbat, you know, a how you say, great man. He is anyway. indeed a great man. Yes, yes, great uh, man. Term, Thank you. In terms of a drink, Doc, I'll get you good work vodka. You'll like. Trust me. It's made from potatoes. What can go wrong? And oh. then he comes he comes back with this like the this tall it's about eight fingers tall by about the circumference of your closed thumb and forefinger. And it gets there and it smells like the bastard child of Slivovitsa gin. Because there's definitely some, there's plum and juniper in there. But, like, really, it is completely clear. If you didn't see the line where it stops, you wouldn't think there's anything in the glass. And when he sets it down, it's alcoholic enough that your hair flares a bit. I was just about to say, she probably backs up just a little bit and says, Uh, I don't think this is such a good idea. Uh, considering I do have a very uh, flammable personality, if you catch my drift. Oh, yes. Um, maybe something not explode one moment. And he comes back with the fruitiest goddamn umbrella drink you've seen. Oh, fantastic. She is on it. It's actually really good. <laughs> she is a girly drink drunk. This is fantastic. All right, so you're sipping on this, and it's uh, it's not that alcoholic, but yeah, it's got some rum in there for sure. And uh, you're drinking for a while, and uh, Jaharis takes his break from the kitchen and comes out, and we'll switch back to Calder's perspective for a minute. This orc who is just he's he's the orc. You look in the dictionary, and under O for orc is this orc. He's broad and strong and huge and massive and he's got a hand that he could put around magma's waist but you know instead he puts it all across her back picture uh the hulk embracing the black widow for a moment right just for terms of scale and he he like claps her on the back and shoves her forward and her drink jostles and he laughs and says something that you can't really make out <clears throat> despite the fact that this would have knocked the lungs out of most people Magma just kind of braces for it, and you give, and she, you see, she sees you give, you see her, give this orc a smile, and uh, that's when we switch back to the perspective of Magma, where Jaharis with his bronze teeth, 
looks at you, looks at you and he's like, ha, how are you today, skinny? Oh, I'm doing very well today. Thank you very much, Thayahan. You're the best. Okay, you come back. Hey, um, are you still work for Batman? She uh, kind of pinches the brow of her nose a little bit and says, uh, I have not had the chance to go and see uh, Grenick in regards to no longer being in his employment. Oh, no, uh, no, Grenick. Grenick is just an asshole. I meant the bad man that you're working with for the rest of it. Grenick. Grenick is just greedy. Fuck, I'll beat the shit out of Grenick if he gets too greedy. Grenick, I don't worry about. Grenick, I go to Grenick's place. Grenick would close the doors. I could not get in there and he would not come out. Because I would put boots so far across ass, you see. It would never come away. She uh, narrows her eyes a minute at Jaharis and is like, I, I do not think, sir, that this should be something that we uh, discuss in, in the open. Especially when I've had it. Then you come with me, bring drink. Now, no sooner does she follow him into the kitchen, and the swinging door is closed, the, swing, the doors are swinging open and closed, than uh, three halflings come walking in the door. All right. Well, the first thing I'll do is I'll cast message, and I'll whisper to Magma, the halflings are here. And then it's time for me to go refresh my drink and go sit next to them. Okay. We switch back to Magma for a moment. The kitchen is bustling, and all of the sous chefs that Jaharis has trained are cooking like a bunch of ex-gladiators. Uh, there's a she, rat- Sorry, go ahead. Uh, she kind of blinks a moment and is like, Wait a minute. Oh, oh my dear, would I recognize at least half of you? And they all look at you like, Oh, Magma! Right? You actually do recognize a couple of them from seeing them in other... Like, you know, you you would tour with the Ludus, obviously. Uh, you don't just stay in one place if you want to make it in Caravelle, you know what I mean? You do the circuit. And you know all about this sort of thing. It's just to find the disorganized and linear circuit at Grenix instead of something, you know, fairer that you could rip through. You know, this changing different classes and, uh, like, this... Byzantine and arcane way they do it illegitimately it makes no sense but evidently it makes a lot of money anyway yeah you recognize a lot of these guys from uh, from seeing them either on the sand here in Bailey Mina or you know on other places in the circuit one guy you actually recognize from the mines wasn't somebody she was beating the hell out of was she (laughs) Nope, he was actually one of the orcs who gave you a wide berth and left you alone. He minded his manners and didn't act like a fucking city orc. She sort of narrows her eyes at him, recognizes, and one of her eyebrows just, like, reaches for the sky and is like, Oh, my dear word, there is gentlemanly behavior amongst all of you. This is, this is so lovely. I, I cannot begin to even tell you. Um... Jaharis, I suppose we should have a conversation. Yes, come with me to office. And, uh, like, Jaharis goes and opens up his office door and gestures for you to go in. The halflings are here. 
you can kind of see her sort of lose her focus a little bit and she goes yes of course um uh yes we'll we'll go and have that discussion and she'll you know head in there you know quick enough he goes inside he sits in his big comfortable chair he gestures for you to sit magma sort of nods her her thanks and her acknowledgement and sort of slides into the chair you know very very quietly and sort of leans forward a little bit putting her elbows on her knees and looking at him directly not saying anything but giving him her full and undivided attention magma i tell you i see you fight i've watched your hollows i followed your career with this you know the thing is that there is one way to glory you know this right depends on the type of glory you're talking about but please enlighten me you obviously have some thoughts of your own you'd like to share in order to climb ladders to face blaze in place that matters he only fights now in top venues it's once every three months they drag him out. The rest of the time he fights in those public appearing, in those these flicker shows. But once every couple months he fights in top venue. He packs the house, him and his new partner. They're not going to put him up against some jobber from the colonies, even if it's known that it's you. So what are you suggesting uh, there, Jay Harris said? I know, I know, even even if I were to enter as Magma, there's no way, given everything and the controversy, that I'd be able to sign on as myself. I wouldn't be able to do it directly. I'd have to try and find some way around. The problem here is you cannot be yourself to get to Blaze, but you must be yourself to get to Blaze. Do you understand what I mean? She gives him this sort of look of, no, I don't exactly know what you're talking about. Um, the magma she kinda... that is the magma that we run around with this bad man, with Granik, with uh, Arabet, I hear. You know, these reputable men, I hear, I see, there are people in streets, they tell me about magma. I see this is... Your choice. You are a grown woman. I am not your boss. But if you want to train for Lurus, to win, distinguish, earn your place back in Circus Maximum, these men, they will not get you there. Fame is the enemy of notoriety, you see. These villains, this Arabat, his circle of friends, these are not good men. The worst of these is Granik. I tell you again and again about Granik. But you don't listen. Like you have a personal vendetta against Mr. Granik there, Jaharit. He's different from you, I've noticed. Granik is born from so Granik does not know what it is to be. Really orcish. Feel the wind in your the sky above you. The wide open prairies all over. The following the following the aurochs and the oxen, the buffalo where they go. For the different seasons, he does not know the joy of orcish life. He has become humanized, which is not a good thing for orc. A human is fine. A orc, also fine. A orc who thinks he's human, not so fine. Granik is 
he does not face. He will not talk. I tell him, Granik, you're wasting so much talent. Granik says nothing to me. He says, you're has been. You know nothing. You are old. You will die soon. I tell him, Granik, you are disgraced the name of Bloodtooth Clan. He says, Bloodtooth Clan. What is Bloodtooth Clan? He does not know. His mother is Bloodtooth Clan, you see. He will not listen. He disgraced Bloodtooth Clan. Seek for money. Seek for glory that is not earned, you see. You earn glory. Me, I earn glory. Granik takes glory from you and me. This is not orcish way. This is human way. Uh, I note what you are trying to say here, Jaharis. But I do have to tell you, at the very least, his way is a way. I, I had nothing coming up from the mines. I had nothing after my, after my fall. It's, it's a, it was a stepping stone. It was something, it was something to give me purpose because I am, aimless, Jaharis. I'm not the magma that was. I'm not, and I know this. That magma, she is gone. We know she is gone. We know who she was. We both miss her terribly. This magma here. This one sit at my desk. This one is the one I speak. I speak to her of the one that can. It is up to you who that is. I have ideas. I see in you potential. I can help you. But not if your loyalties are split. If you are follow Granik in the easy path, the money right away, the, the blood matches, the cheap glory of that, you will not rise to the level to face Blaze, no matter what Granik said. Sooner or later, someone is going to drug you, or shoot you with a dart, or put you out, or hold someone that you love hostage, and then you will get a beating such as you've never had. Granik will turn on you. The minute his, your back is turned, you watch. They see too many times. Well, I'm sure he'll try and do the same thing once I try and leave him. However, I do believe that of my compatriots, there is at least one that may be able to help me out of that situation. And as I I did make at the very least a verbal agreement with Grenick that I would fight for him for a time. He didn't specify how long. I was hoping to be able to get to that big tall fucker, the Goliath. Just... To be able to do that would be, would suit me fine, and then after that would be, I'd leave. If I have to leave sooner, then I'd much rather have Nari with me when I go and talk to Granny. Then it's up to you. You make decision. For now, you enjoy fellowship of clan in place where you are welcome, where you are not looked at like woman with head on fire, where you are looked at as your cousin or sword sister. We are the orcs. You are welcome here. Enjoy. Find out what clan and hospitality is. See what you've been missing since even since days and looted. And it's that when you realize, like right about then that you realize as you stand up, that this restaurant with all these ex gladiators, like lots of them are so are just basically so recently ex that uh, they're just not fighting right now. You know, there's a lot of guys who are still in good arena shape. And it dawns on you that with the jobs he has them doing, hauling big potlets, you know, like shield, like the size of a shield, hauling them up, putting them on a rack, hauling them up, putting them on a rack, hauling them up, putting them on the rack, 
That's a pretty good practice for getting your shield up after the 18th time that somebody smashed it with a hammer. You know, and the way he has them cleaning their knives, it's it's the way to withdraw something, withdraw a knife if it's been stuck in the ribs. All of these things, and you realize Jahiris' kitchen is a Lewis. She kind of narrows her eyes a little bit, sort of watches them, kind of looks back to Jahiris, sort of hangs her head kind of a little bit and says, I have... I have my fears, Jahiris. I don't want to be hurt again. And she kind of looks at him and he can tell the look on her face is like she is deadly serious. Like she's literally on that cusp. That is the last thing that she wants is to begin to, you know, do as she did with Blaze, which was to put her trust in him and to have that so utterly and completely violated. That's the last thing she wants at this point. So Jaharis listens to what you say, and he says, You know, Skinny, I will tell you, life is pain. Life hurts. It must. Love is loss. Victory only lasts so long. Sooner or later, someone will beat you. Life is pain. This is the orcish way. If you're worried about getting hurt, why are you in the arena? Not that type of hurt, you moron. The crowd will leave you if, in the moment of a fight, you know this. Your partner will turn his back on you. Your ludus will throw you out. Nothing is inviolable. All love is lost. If you are not willing to step out of the heart and worry about getting hurt, come on. Magma, you are the fire. You should burn through this. You are the all-consuming flame. And then you are not. But you must decide. You know, do you burn brightly? Do you burn for heat? Who are you? Are you the great gladiatrix? Great, then let's go do that. Are you a back alley thug? Keep running with these evil men. You will be. This is better place. Finish your business. Do what you must. Stay out of trouble and come back. This is your new Lutus now. You belong here. We have obligation to you. The last who said that they had obligation to drop me like a sack of wet shit the moment I went south. Would you uh, back me if something like that happened? You see, I have deeper obligation. This which you don't know yet. And uh, maybe I tell you. Yes, maybe now is time to tell. If you must run with evil men, perhaps you should know why Jahiris is interested. Why Jahiris sees you as omen from... Why Jihiris sees all of these things? What is worst day, the biggest change in your gladiator life? Tell me about that. What happened? There were technically two. The first, of course, was the loss of my uncle. Ah. And then the second one was... Yes, Blaze broke your heart. Boo-hoo, we get him back for that. But what no, can't... It's not, it's not that Blaze broke my heart. That's, that's piddly-ass children's high school bullshit. No, that's not what it was. It was the fact that nobody would back me when that senator's son decided he would try and shank my ass. That's this what I got angry about. Perils of privilege for celebrity. You must know the crowd will leave you at moments. No, yes, it hurt. But what changed you? Did it hurt you? What changed you? One moment when skinny orc who could not speak, common, wearing shackles on ankle. Thrown in arena 
with four ogres and the great sorcerers to die ignominiously. But then a miracle happens. He look away. So the he look away. He concentrate on ogres. He smash one ogre. Ogre falls. He smash second ogre. Ogre falls. Surely he will see the orc who is picking up his trident to get him. But he does not. That orc sticks the trident in the back of the man's neck. He is dead. The orc is instantly summoned fame. Victorious. All he has to do is kill great men. Good gladiator. No need to die that day. But the career is launched you see, And suddenly the crowd, they love him. Years later, that man's daughter. She is betrayed by the man who she counts on. Her friend. The man she knows more than anyone. Who owes her more than anything. What can I do but give back to her what she has given to me? You see this obligation. I was skinny kid when I killed Sorcerer of Steel. I still have this. And then he goes and stands up behind his desk, grabs the corner of a shelf, hauls it out. It kind of slides out because he's just a big, strong fucking do that. And he reaches in behind and pulls out a trident that you'll never forget. Sets it on the desk. Ooh. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> um. We'll switch back over to Calder out at the bar with these halflings. So I'll start off just by sitting near them, just doing a little little eavesdropping, sort of get a feel for who they are and what's going on. To be clear, we're looking for a not-so-talented gang so that we think that we can hook them a little bit easier, right? So if, okay. the, if these guys are a top-flight crew, mm, what if they're kind of fuck-ups? Well, these ones appear to be drinking their beer responsibly. Like, there's no quaffing. They sit there and drink from they they sit there and drink from their half pint mugs, and uh, they're just tipping it back and talking amongst themselves in their native tongue. Do you speak halfling? Uh, no. I'm gonna double check, but that seems real unlikely. Like the least sexy language ever. Do you speak dwarven? Nope. Common draconic elvish. See, all okay. the sexy ones. All the sexy ones. Yeah. So no, you uh you don't really get what they're saying and. Uh, Finally, the, the, there are two men and a woman, and the woman finally leans across the table and say, to the bartender, the, leans across the bar to the bartender and says, um, do you think he's going to be much longer, love? And the bartender says, uh, maybe a few minutes he's speak with friend. I can't say, he's boss. He will do what, he will do what he likes. He's free orc. He knows. Uh, aye, but you see, it's it's important we speak to him. There's. Thank you, anyway. And a few minutes later, Magma and Jaharis come out from the kitchen, having had their conversation. Uh, Magma, you see that Kaldor is sitting at the bar next to three halflings. Well, you don't see that Kaldor is sitting next. Well, you see that disreputable old fisherman. Is sitting next to the is sitting next to these three halflings. Okay, just before she walks in to go and have uh, words with Jaharis, um, she will whisper under her breath, "I'll be there as soon as I can," and go in for her meeting. And then, of course, as she walks out, um, she'll kind of look over to Jaharis and go, "Now, 
I see you have entertainment for the evening. What other forms of entertainment are allowed in your establishment, my friend? Uh, well, it's, for half moons we have fights in main room, but it's not half moons. Half moons is when all the moons are exactly at half. It happens three times a year. And it's an orc high holiday. They celebrate by beating the shit out of each other and getting drunk. At least in the city. Out in the countryside, you're told it's a much more spiritual affair with shamanic rituals and feasting and, you know, celebrations. And, you know, this is when marriages are agreed to and, you know, clans unite and join up and marry off eligible suitors to other, you know, willing suitors. That's the thing. The orcs, both parties have a choice, always. Doesn't matter how good it is for the clan. The ultimate choice is up to them and they have to make it truly because orcs are creatures of emotion who aren't stupid. They just can't contain their emotions. So if they think they're going to be miserable for the rest of their life, that's going to be an atrocious situation, right? Thus, orc marriage is always mutual. Orcs fly into a rage because, you know, they'll go from crying at the beauty of a leaf floating on a puddle to homicidally angry because you don't get how beautiful that is. You know, they're weird she, people. Um, yeah, she looks at Jay Harris and, and sort of almost looks a little startled at it and says, oh, no, no, nothing that serious, my dear. I'm just thinking like perhaps a dart board and some darts or... Oh, yes, I don't okay. Know. Oh, we have old cards. We have Benjuka. We have, you know, card games. We have, we have darts. We have X's. You know, this is Orc Bar. We, of course, we have X-Droids. Well, I'd, I think I would prefer either the X-Throwing or the darts, if you well, don't mind. Those... I, I can certainly set it up to help you out. I know you're good. It's, it's in the back tap room. Uh, face west. Bar goes north-south. Range goes east-west. Half room, okay. Throw down range only, or you're going to piss someone off and... It's never good for business, you know, customer business. You don't throw X at customers. Number one rule. Remember that. It's first part of training. Number one rule. Bad for business, throw X for customer business. I promise I will behave myself as she turns and looks at the rest of the room and is like, would anyone care to join me for a friendly game, of course, of either darts or axe throw? So I lean over to uh, where the halflings are, and I say, Oh, for fuck's sakes, God's damned. It's that fucking bitch, Magma. Oh, she cost me some dear coin at the fights. What, the halfling sitting next to you looks, cocks an ear and looks at you. The woman who was waiting for Jaharis um, hears you say axes and perks right up, looks at the third one, who looks at the other two, and nods. The woman slides off her chair, and the other young man looks at you and goes, Oh, oy, she's, she's a right menace, isn't she? She's, she's, she sure is good. I was there when she took that ogre down. Climbed him like a fucking tree, mate. She was up one side of him, down the other. Oh, I someone to do something about her. Well, I don't know about that. I mean, there's laws, and that was, it was a fair fight until the ogre pulled that post out. She is a fair menace, but 
I mean, you shouldn't. Now you know better than to bet on her. Listen, maybe it'll sweeten the taste in your mouth. I noticed you're drinking beer. Maybe you can call it that? Well, that's exactly our point, and that's why we're here. You see, this is, uh, well, this is Took Stout here, and he's, you look and he points, and he's got a, a little hand keg of beer, right? This, we've, it's, it, the problem here, and I don't mean to offend you because you're clearly a local, is that you got no goddamn good beer. And I think, I think that this here, this beer would be like anything, unlike anything anyone has tasted. But we can't get it into any of the, any of the taverns. So we've come to speak to Mr. Jahiris about it. But if you, sir, are a connoisseur, I could see my way into cracking this here hand keg and treating you to some. Oh, I... I've seen my time on the sea. I've had a proper rink. Let's see what you have. Well, sir, I'll tell you, you won't be disappointed. And with that, he kind of stands up on his chair because he's a halfling, right? On, on his stool. He goes, ladies and gentlemen, Burley and Took are pleased to announce the debut of our new stout. It's available here for the first time to the public. And this lucky fella's about to get the first drink. Now, we've all had it. And we think it's the cat's pyjamas. And it's like nothing else that you've ever had before. Real halfling beer from the Riverlands. And that's the truth. We brought a few cakes for you to sample. And with your kind permission, landlord, he looks over at Jairus. Yes, I'd love to serve your customers a few rounds of free beer. To people who could probably appreciate it. If, am I right? Do orcs like beer or not? And the crowd's like, rah, rah, rah. Goes, oh, I'm sorry, I thought orcs liked real beer. And they like, well, I like real beer. I like real beer. Real beer? A little vodka? Yeah, we've got that coming too. We're setting up a distillery. We're setting up a big brewery. We could do this. Just, please, ladies, gentlemen. Oh, sorry, ladies, gentle orcs, please, just give us a chance. And uh, then he taps the keg and he pours you a mug, and uh, it's fucking good beer. I uh, I drank the whole thing ding down, one go, slam the cup down on the uh, on the counter, and I just scream, skull! And the orcs go shit crazy, skull! And like the kegs start pouring. And Jaehaerys starts talking to the elder of these three halflings. Like the eldest of these three halflings. Now the girls has accompanied Magma back to the darts and axe throwing range. And the hatchets are all orc sized, so they're even a little big for you, Magma. She sort of raises an eyebrow at him. So, you know, one girly drink with the, 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 the parasol in the one yeah. hand. And holding an axe in the other, and it's kind of like, oh, well, this will be an interesting endeavor, I do believe. Um, hello there, uh, madam. My name is Magma. Uh, uh, it's a pleasure to meet your acquaintance. I'm, uh, I'm Molly Took. It's nice to meet you. Now, I, I'd actually prefer to play darts with you, if you wouldn't mind. These axes seem a little bulky. You know, I was bit, I was just about to say they're they're a bit what is the word uh, clunky uh, uh, would be the word that I would call. Well, inelegant is what I call them. Anyway, uh, game of darts. Now, do you want to play uh, pin the weasel or around the circle? 
I know 15 or 20 different dart games. It's my, it's my thing. And with that, she reaches into a little purse that she's carrying and takes out this beautiful set of competition darts, which she takes out and she very carefully puts the flights on. Magma sort of grins and sets her, her, her drink down and is like, those are absolutely lovely. Um, how about we go with uh, your lady's choice? Well, uh, I like Pinda Weasel. And here's how you play. So she explains the rules of this game and you play it for a couple of, a couple of rounds and like, you're good with darts. You are. Uh, all kinds of thrown things, really. Shurikens of all kinds. Dust, rocks, gravel, that sort of shit. You know, um, anything that comes to hand, the gladiator uses, right? But she's prodigious to the point where as the beers go down and there's a, there's a few of them, you get a little bit of a warm glow. She just gets steadier. And after about four beers, she's calling shots like, all right, well, you see that mid band there in the bottom left corner, slightly up. And hitting it exactly where she says she's going to throw it. And then, like, the third game comes along and she's like, well, you know, no offense, but I'm, uh, I'm used to a challenge and this is getting a little bit easier every time. I don't, like I said, no offense, mate, but you're not here to play darts, are you? Well, I'm not a professional, if that's what you're asking. Well, no, I just noticed that you're watching me playing darts and having a real good look at me. You're not very yeah. subtle, so out with it. I'm watching you throw because you throw like a goddamn angel. Well, I'm a brewer's daughter. Of course I'm good at darts. I'm learning to see if I can perhaps pick up a trick or two. Well, Obviously, you are well better than me. See, now, the thing is, it's the size of the darts versus the size of my hand, right? Look at when you're holding a dart, you have to hold it with three fingers, whereas I can hold it end on like this with my whole hand. That's the secret. Standard darts, halfling hands. I wonder then, uh, and she'll kind of adjust her grip slightly to see if she can't perhaps sort of mimic the sort of thing that uh, that Molly is doing to see if she can't get, you know, I guess like a little bit better at it, a little bit more oomph or something. Well, I mean, like, it's like throwing a crossbow. If you had a crossbow bolt, the, w the way she's throwing it is the same way that you'd return a crossbow bolt. She narrows her eyes a moment and goes, I think I've, and then she'll throw it like she would a crossbow bolt. And it nails it exactly the same way Molly did. She goes, oh, you're a good study. Pretty quick of you. And where did you do your training? She kind of sighs. Sort of looks a little bit off-put and says, in one of the Ludus's. Oh, right. Okay. Well, that makes sense then, doesn't it? Like, she's had probably a dozen pints during the course of these three games. Sorry, just for the record. Halfling pints? No. Or pints? Like orc pints. Good God. She should be smashed drunk off her fucking face by now. She sort of looks over at Molly and says, you are surprisingly able to hold your liquor. Well, that's what happens when you grow up in a brewery, mate. Especially one in a little town. She chuckles a little bit and says, your liver must be crying. Nothing wrong with it. You could stop a bullet. Anyway, listen, um... I can see you're getting a little past your limit, 
So you should probably have your man take you home. This isn't the sort of place you want to pass out. Oh, I'm sure Jaharis will look after me proper. At least for everything I've been told. You know orcs and what they're like. Uh, uh, no, do tell. She looks around the room at everybody who's suddenly very interested in what she has to say. <laughs> and uh, decides not to and excuses herself and says, Well, I can see that I've, uh, you know, I can see that I stepped on it. I'm sorry, ladies and gentlemen. I'll be leaving. And then everybody kind of goes back to their dinner as she gets up and does exactly that. Uh, Magma sort of looks as she sort of, you know, like goes towards the door and says, it was a pleasure to meet your acquaintance, Molly. Yep, you too. Catch you another time. And out she goes, like directly to the door. You see her beeline out of the back room and out through the front, straight across the tap room, pauses for a moment to speak to the elder halfling. Uh, and away, you know, away she goes out front to wait in a cab. She's straight out the door. That's probably the wisest thing to do. So while they were... While Magma was losing a dart, um, I realized that I have two specimens next to me. So what were the three checks? Uh, Arcana, Insight, and Investigation. You need to do Arcana? Yep. Right now. You have to yeah, do yeah. an Arcana test. So as you're having a, as you're having a chat yeah. with these two guys, uh, Jaharis is more than happy for his customers to get free beer, although he can't charge for it. He uh, likes the idea of being a place where free beer can be served. You know, it'll bring him back in for the borscht. Speaking of which, you've grown a mite peckish, and uh, a nice bowl of borscht, a, a junior bowl of borscht, is delivered to your plate. Now. Looking around the room, you know that you could easily pack away a full bowl of borscht. But eating in public is troublesome for you. 25 on Arcana. Okay, um, this one is not cursed. At all? At all. I'll try the next one. No, cursed halfling as far as I can see until you need one. Until you need one. Three less, 22. Okay, so... The next one, the younger one who's uh, kind of, you know, was the one who's serving the beer, uh, looks rather like the older one, and he isn't cursed either. When Molly leaves, you have a quick look at her, and her thalamic field is to be clean of curses. So, this fellow looks up, this fellow who's sitting there, he's, he's leaning back, he goes, So, um, do you like it? The beer, that is. Oh, I. Well, Jim Burley, I'm uh, the owner of the Burley and Took. Brewery. It's my niece, Molly Took, and uh, my, my... Are you taking orders yet? Aye, uh, we, we do take a small, a small number of orders. We hope to, uh, we hope to cater to fellas like yourself with, well, you know, as a man of the sea, as you obviously are, we're, uh, we're, uh, we're, we're, we're planning to distill a fine rum and a good, a good porter for, for you, sort. We like that more substantial drink to stick right to your ribs and keep you warm at night you know and I, I, i'm just i'm glad to know that you like me. um you know it's a chance for uh, a fellow like me to make it in this time and uh i'm really just looking forward to getting it in there so tell all your friends would you burley and took were the best beer in bailey mina that sounds pretty good 
something over 20. He appears to be entirely legit. He's not dissembling at all. His posture, everything, speaks of him telling the truth. So after about, about five minutes after Molly leaves, uh, he talks to Jaharis. Jaharis hands him a small bag of money, and uh, he hands over a receipt for that amount of beer. And he's like, well, it was really nice to meet you. And remember, Burley and Took, it's the best beer in Bailey. And he slides off the off his stool. And I'll tell all of my mates. Thank you, sir. And away they go, rattle off down the street in the coach. Um, Magma comes wobbling out of the back room with her knees apparently not working the same. Like there's, she has been drugged or something. No, she's just drunk. I uh, hide my smile in my cup. And I wait for her to leave so that I could wait a discreet amount of time to exit as well. All right. Well, she makes two or three runs at the door before she has to stop and talk to somebody and tell them how much she just loves the borscht and aren't you great? And is that a new baby? Oh, my gosh. Like, she actually stops and gets a little bit goo-goo over, uh, over this little orc baby who's, you know, breastfeeding while mom's pouring back a slow bowl of borscht and just relaxing with her feet up. Magma goes right over because it's not rude for orcs. He's, hey, nice baby. Thanks. Want to hold him? And uh, yeah, so Magma bounces this little baby orc around for a bit and just giggles and then gives it back to his mom and walks out and, you know, has to tell Jaharis that she kind of loves him a bit and thanks. And then, like, stops and tells the matron of the house that. I just, I, I, I can't begin to even tell you how, how, how much. I appreciate all of you, and you just like so, her tattoos so, now are kind of starting to like flicker a little, and her hair is starting to kind of flicker a little, and she's just, I uh, just, I'm so I'm I'm touched by your generosity and the fact that you are all just such amazing individuals and amazing people, and and this is interrupted for, for a the second. Band, everybody. And and then let's hear it from the band, everybody, is punctuated by a long, flaming burp. And, uh, like, that's impressive. Everybody's like, oh! Right? Like, the, even the band is applauding that. That was amazing. Right? And then, like, you know, Jairus is like, okay, Magma. Okay, Magma, let's go. Do you need Cape to get home? Uh... I should be okay by my onesie, sir. I promise. Okay, well, you know, don't kill anybody. It gets you in jail. I can't afford to get you out and spend all my money on beer tonight. So you go out and sit your ass in a in, in a bench, probably about a hundred meters down the road, and let your hair out of its bed, and it just kind of licks up to heaven with the wind. Like every time the wind hits your hair. Instead of like everybody else, how it blows their hair around, it kind of flares your hair out, you know? Like a strong wind, you've got this big Erica Badu corona. And, you know, in most other times, you can style it. And, and like, it's like, it, it looks like brushing fire when you're especially, when you're feeling especially energized, right? But you take your hair out and shake it out, and it kind of licks around and crackles and snaps and does all the things your hair does when it's staticky. And uh, that's when the fisherman comes walking out, more or less straight, and I'll let Sean describe from here. So I call her, steps out of the bar, takes a look, and sees Magma down the way, checks the other side, empty street, 
walks over, gets close to Magma, shrugs off the Grey Wool coat, drops Ultra Self, looks at Magma and says, Well, that was most elucidating, shall we? Of course, uh, as she kind of slips her arm and up against Calder's and is gesturing very grandiose. Calder's hand is strong around your waist, holding you up as you lean on him and walk down the street, swinging and swaying. Um, partway back to what you assume is your lodgings, you see Nari standing out in front of the door of uh, what appears to be a cottage on the harbor front. Well, we'll walk over. Good evening. Where, what have we got here? I believe this is our rat trap. Oh, is there a bed in there? As you bustle in past Nari at the door, with Magma kind of slurring her words and giggling to herself, you go within and find that uh, Arabet is, you know, stalking around the place, taking measure of the security and checking the windows and pulling the dust cloths off of things. And the place is basically furnished, um, not ornately, but with good quality and about five years ago in style. As you take her up to the second floor, you'll find several bedrooms. Four, in fact. One of these is big enough. The linens seem to be clean. You pour her into the mattress and throw the dust cloth back over her because there doesn't seem to be any blankets and evidence. And uh, when I talk to Rain, I'll, uh, I'll grab that cover and I'll, I'll talk to Rain as her flame is starting to, to dim as she's uh, falling to proper sleep. Oh. <laughs> What will we do with you? You, you stay put here, and I'll, uh, I'll make sure you're taken care of tonight. I will then endeavor to get her a proper blanket. She is a lady. It's the work of about 20 minutes to get Timote to grab one from Arabets and get back here. Um, so she's soon covered up, and you know the place is uh, the place is checked out in the course of about two hours. Nari and Ziva get to work on putting a few preliminary wards on the place. While, uh, Calder, you see, do the comfort of anybody who's going to be staying overnight. Yeah, Magma's, I mean, she's surprisingly agreeable and compliant in, in a very sharp contrast to what she's like normally. Um, and just before Calder leaves her with the blanket and stuff like that, she kind of with reflexes that even as sauced as she is, um, the reflexes are still incredibly quick. And she does sort of grab a hold of um, not his wrist and not his hand, but the forearm. She kind of looks up at him and says, You've been the only person who's put me to bed like this since my mother. You're very welcome, sweet dreams. The fire in her hair dims and it fades. The reps guys have locked the door on their new building and 
set off to their own residences for the night. Arabet slinks off into the dark as is his wont. After taking a quick trip up Copper Penny Road just to see what, you know, see what's happening on the drag tonight, um, you start heading back to the greenhouse. But it occurs that that boat job still has to happen when it has to happen. Like, I mean, they've got a schedule. They'll be there when they're there, and they'll leave when they'll leave. So you have to hit that boat within a certain window, and there's not a lot of preparation getting done. Well, I think then I need my boy. You probably could use Timothée's help in this for sure. Well, it's off to the bakers then. So you skirt off to the bakers along the way, um, passing down Murdoch Row and hooking a quick left onto Tuppence Ave. You uh, take the stairs up to the mid ridge and then catch the train around to the bakery. I knock politely at the door. It's after midnight, so the place is closed, and the baker comes out and uh, opens the door, and he comes to the door and looks and sees at you and holds up two fingers, then goes back, and uh, a couple minutes later, Timothy comes out and opens the door. Yes, yes, master. Y yes, sir. I raise an eyebrow. This master thing is new. I've had a spit of, have you not? Master Calder said I had to call you and him Master from now on, Master Arabet. Arabet thinks about that for a second. Well, you definitely should call Calder uh, Master, that's for sure. I thought it was, can I just call you Bet when it's no one else around? I'm used to it, you know? I, I don't mean any disrespect, mate. As long as you remember what you're supposed to do in front of everyone else, that's called keeping appearances. I said, um, do you need me? Um, I was just in bed. Yes. I fork over two silvers. Give that to your pa and then meet me out front. Yes, sir, I'll, I'll, be, uh, I'll be right along. While he's getting ready, the, uh, his dad, who, who answered the door originally, comes out. He's like, Mr. Adabet. Baker, how are you doing? I'm well, thank you, sir. I'd like to thank you as well for uh, having that conversation with those bullywugs who were causing me that trouble as well as giving my son an apprenticeship i can't tell you enough how much this means to me your uh, your kindness and silver is also appreciated sir and i just want you to know that uh, everything you've done for us well 
it's made our lives easier. However, um, this is a bit of an odd hour to be calling on a, on my son, sir. It is his apprenticeship. Oh, yes, of course. Uh, what, what, whatever was I thinking? Um, please uh, see to it that he's home for the... To, to, if you would, though. He'll be home in good in short order. Thank you, sir. I, it's much appreciated. Um, Timothy, come on now. You, you haven't got all bloody day, mate. And uh, then Timothy comes out and he's pulling his uh, he's pulling his coat on and he's you know he's got his hair tied back and he looks for all intents and purposes the invisible apprentice that you have been grooming him into. Timothy, we're going up the row. We need to get some supplies. Very good. Um... What kind of supplies? First things first, we're going to go see my bolt maker. Your bolt maker? Not the, the wondersmith? Yes. And I get to come with you this time. It strikes me that it's time that you need to learn your way around a bolt caster. Well, yes, sir. I'll, I'll be right with one moment. And with that, he steps out into the street and with a great whistle, he hails a hansom, which uh, comes clattering up. It's, uh, it's a horse-driven job, the way that you like. And uh, the door is open and you and here soon rattling off through the street, the misty streets of Bailey-Mina. Now, the bolt maker doesn't see anyone at this hour. But how are we going to get in then? Oh, he'll see me. By anyone, I just mean anyone off the street. Oh, I see. It's the privilege of um, influence. Long acquaintance. Then this is another see uh, and See and be seen, but not heard situation, sir. That would be correct. Keep your eyes open. Take in the shop. Very good, sir. So it's legitimate business only tonight. No, this is where we start. Ah, I see. Very good. Timothy, take this. And I take out my first book caster. He takes it from you and looks at it like he takes it in two hands and he, he holds it reverentially and looks at it like it's made of gold. This has been a very serviceable weapon. What makes it serviceable? Um, treat your tools well and they won't fail you, sir. Treat your tools well and they won't fail you. It is very important that a tool like this not fail you. Why is that? Well, because it's a necessary part of any 
gentleman's arsenal, isn't it? It's well, it's it's a bolt caster. It's a it's a it's a heavy. This looks like a Timothy. Timothy, it's simple. It's a simple question. The reason it is so important is because if you pull it out, it has to work. I understand, sir. That one is yours now. Are you kidding me? I, do I ever kid you, Timothy? Um, no, sir, but I mean, what are you going to do for one? I'm getting another one tonight. Oh, my, sir. All right. Um, I, I promise I'll take care of it as as well as as well as you do, if not better. It's wow, sir. I, I can't believe it. Thank you so much. Now, Timothy, the first rule about a bolt caster is you never fire it unless you mean to use it. So do not fire it dry. That means you must always have a bolt in the barrel. He, he nods at that and he's, uh, well, do you suppose the master bolt maker would sell me a couple of bolts? I'm a little late right at the moment. This is fine. I will get you a set of 10 to practice with. Timothy, if you take that out for any other reason than to protect yourself, I will thrash you myself. I understand, sir. It's a tool like the picks. It is best if no one know you have it, because then they won't see it coming. And with that, he tries to fit it somewhere into, into his clothing. Like, uh, unfortunately, it's a bit like, a, well, like a 12-year-old trying to hide a 45, you know. Um, but he eventually gets it in under his armpit and uh, comfortably there. He's going to need like a shoulder rig or something like that. Uh, as well as, you know, a bolt belt and the whole nine yards. It's going to be an expensive night. But you knew that when you had it out anyway. So in due time, the hansom rattles to a halt in the square where you told it to take you. Um, you pass the coachman a couple of silver and bid him a very good evening. And then you and Timotei... Stick your hands in your pockets and go mooching off through the fog down a sloped road, a sloped cobblestone road, rather, to your eventual aim. It's um, the bolt maker's shop is in an old industrial area before the yards were really established when, uh, you know, little neighborhoods had little wee factories in them. These have been repurposed lately for uh, like boutique businesses and that sort of thing. Little tiny artisanal shops open up in these, but sooner or later they get gilded up um, or, you know, put out by the, by the bigger shops. So these places are generally in a state of constant refurbishment, 
and uh, retrofitting and uh, sometimes even abandonment. But uh, this is the steelworks, this area of town. And uh, so you're like wandering down these streets and there's a couple of pubs that are open and, you know, people roaring out the door with song and story and you pass folks on the street, but less and less as you get down into this neighborhood, right? Like the last little pool of light you pass on the street comes from the door and windows of this uh, neighborhood pub. It's called the Black Baron and uh, the band inside is pretty cooking. Um, but you're not here for the band. So you sneak off into these dark little side streets and then eventually down a tight alleyway, which is fairly choked with debris and, you know, other things to make it difficult to move in. But there's a thin path that winds through all of it. No straight route. Like it's, it's kind of windy as you try to get through this narrow little beam. Finally, you stop at a door underneath a light just one little gaslight burning alone in the night. Uh, and above the door, there is a card sign which says W.S. Grumaker Boltsmith. I knock quietly on the door. There is no answer. Timothy, open the door. Timothy, Timothy bends down to look at the lock and takes out his pick. And when he gets his picks near the lock, there's a clicking from within the door and he just kind of jumps back. He's like, oh my, sir. No, I don't think I could do that one. Very good. It's good to know when you're overmatched. I don't know if I could do that lock. And at that point, the door opens and uh, there's like a bald gnome with this bristly beard and a scar that goes through one eye and onto his cheekbone. And he's got these, you know, sharp, sharp, but right now bleary blue eyes. He's wearing a robe and his slippers and he's like, ah, Arabet, what brings you here at this hour? I need to do a little off hour shopping. Mm, I was. A, I knew you were going to say that. Let's try not to wake anybody. Come in, come in. Don't make a scene. You'll wake the whole bloody neighborhood. We don't want that now, do we? Not in the slightest. Now. So you get in, and uh, within this place is uh, furnished as though it were a high-ceilinged room for people. You know, like, the rooms here are furnished the, the way the rooms here are furnished, they look to be as big as the ones at the manor you just left a minute ago with the 15-foot-high ceilings and whatnot like that. But this is all scaled down in gnomish proportions, and in fact, it's just a regular-sized room. The effect of you being in here, though, is always a little bit disconcerting, as you are, what, like six feet tall? Yeah, just under six feet. Yeah, and everything here is scaled for a, like a three to four footer, right? Thank you for seeing me at this hour. 
well, I don't see just anyone. And Timothy's like, oh, 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 look at that. And he said, I don't see just anyone at this hour. You must have a need. What can I do for you? I think there are about four things I want from you tonight, if this is possible. What's I'm looking, the job? Well, it's a boat, of course. Oh, is it famous for, of course? This one will be at sea, and I need to make sure that whoever I put down stays down. All right, so you're looking for weapons. Um, how are you intending to get out there? Will you need a swimming, will you need a swim suit? <sighs> yes, yes, I think that would be appropriate. Well, then it's going to take a while. Come on in, kid. The tea's over there, started boiling, and when you're done, don't touch nothing. Come in the back and find your master and me. We'll have need of you. Chop, chop. And with that, he opens his store, which is six feet tall, so you just fit into it. And uh, he leads you down a short hall. Like, and when I do mean short, I mean not very tall, but long hallway. Um, into what appears to be a gentleman's clothier's fitting room. Everything here is regular scale. There's a barber's chair and everything like that. And, uh, you know, um, he walks in, he makes a wave and a cabinet opens and all the lights come on. And the cabinet that opens has a variety of, you know, whiskeys or other sorts of drinks. And, uh, you know, he goes walking along muttering things and all these mechanisms just turn on and all these shelves open up. And it, it's like a, a proper... Savile Road tailors in here, but uh, the racks hold weapons and various armors and things like that. WS, first things first, I'm going to need a pair of bolt casters. A pair of bolt casters. And you know better than to call me WS. It's Billy to you. Thank you, Billy. So... A pair of bolt casters. Uh, for the boy that you saw, I am treating him tonight to a sling for his bolt caster that he's trying to hide under that arm of his. And a set of practice bolts for him. Well, he's as obvious as the sun coming up with it right now. We'll have to fit in with a new coat and a complete rig. That would be appropriate. That'll Before be my we begin... Before we begin, Arabet, I have to know, if you're going after the boat, I've heard rumors you're going after. I've got to know, who's backing you on this, and how big is your budget? I will change my availability and stock considerably, if you know what I mean. Yes. I'm being backed by the Hulu's. Hulu, well, I'll have his bona fides, but I'll start out. Since you've decided to take a poke at this boat, the job's worth, on the outside, oh, sorry, on the inside, what do you figure the job's worth? More than I can count. Conservative estimates have it at five million. So 
I can extend for you, on good faith, of course, a line of credit out to about 10,000 until your man gets me his bona fides. Does that sound fair? That sounds very generous. Very good. I'll have your signature and I'll take it to the Artemis if that's all the same to you. That's fine. Okay, so for the listener's benefit, the Artemis is a sort of central bank of crime. For any large sorts of money, any large sums of money that have to pass between um, less than legitimate organizations, legitimate institutions tend to get a little nosy. So there's the Artemis, the central accountant of crime in Bailey Mina. Um, anybody with any sort of name, thus of note to Arabet, has an account there. Boltsmith is a well-known client. Please continue. So the rig, the bolt casters for tonight. Uh, and a jacket, of course, for Timothy. And the boy needs a good knife. Well, I've got all kinds of knives. He can test his uh, he can test his hand with it out at the range after you've picked out your bolt caster. I'll also give him, since you've just given him yours, I take it. Is that yours? I see in his pocket. Indeed, that is my old one. Well then, I'll need to refit it and rebalance it for his hand. He wouldn't be able to shoot the outside, the inside of a barn, if he was standing in the middle. Indeed, but a boy has to start somewhere. Well, let's get let's get you armed first, and then out to the range to get you tuned in. And with that, he goes over to a cabinet and he waves his hand and snaps his fingers and says a word you're not quite sure you catch. It has a resonance to it that sounds like music, and um, the cabinet that was displaying long swords a minute ago fades and uh, rotates and then a collection of hand crossbows comes up and uh, these ones are individuals and some of them have long elegant arms and you know graceful handles and you know automatic cocking mechanisms and all of this other sort of thing and like these are all good one shots and like sure you could you could rattle off uh you could rattle off an area with these, but uh, the ones that catch your eyes are the, the ones where you think they're pistols to start with, right? But what, is, what are those? Those those are the new Bailey and Armstrongs. Those, um, those are repeating fire, self-replenishing, magical... Magically ammunitioned, air-cooled, individually crafted bolt casters. 
Those are a dream. They take some getting used to, especially since they don't have any arms, see? Everything is internal. The, uh, and with that, he, he like takes one off and he, he spins it around and uh, checks to see that the safety's on before turning it around and handing it to you. When you put your hand around the grip, um, it feels like um, almost like it's made of gel, you know? It is solid, but it gooshes in your grip. Wow, what, what was that? That feeling in my hands. Oh, that's because it hasn't quite gotten the feel of you yet. See, those are as yet unattuned, and don't be getting any ideas. They're very expensive. Those are 2500 apiece. <laughs> those are temptation. This is because you will never run out of ammunition, and I will never see you again as long as you own those, you see. Well, until you come back to have them upgraded, see, I've just got the latest specs in from my cousins in Stonegate, and they say that very shortly you'll be able to modify your ammunition on the fly without taking it apart or changing the shape of it at all. And on what horizon is that coming? Probably by the next summer. I have a feeling that by next summer I won't be here. And maybe you'll be somewhere where they have this technology. Indeed. So I'm thinking, uh, you know, these are 2,500 apiece. It's 5,000 for the pair. If you'd like to go tune them in out in the range, out back, I'll have your boy fitted for his harness and his new coat. Uh, and as well, you look a right mess. Um, let me do something about that get-up of yours. All right. Appreciate it. The total bill for tonight will be, I'd say, 89 to 92, and I'll have it ready for you in the morning. Perfect. Until then, I suggest you go take those out back and spend an hour shooting all is in things. Thank you. I shall do that. Arabit takes the two bolt casters very, very, very gingerly and walks with a little risinous step out towards the range. All right, so you duck down another one of these uh, low hallways and uh, into the main body of what used to be a warehouse, but which is now a full combat range. And as you walk up, uh, as you walk up a few stairs, you get close to the door to the range and Outside, there's, um, well, there, there's a half a war forged. It's kind of been built onto a chair, and it just sits there quietly as you approach, and it's like, evening, bet. Evening, 82. How are you doing? I'm just peachy. 
Going to do a little range work? Yes, sir. Well, give me your hand. You know how it goes. Can't get in without a stamp. Here you go, sir. And with that, it takes an ink pad. It takes a rubber stamp to an ink pad and uh, brands a glyph onto the back of your hand in mystic ink. It's kind of got a bit of a burn, but in the same way that good whiskey does. You know what I mean? Magic. Never get used to that. And then, like, the door's got this whole airlock wheel thing, and you open it up and step out through it. And, like, when it opens up, you uh, step through it, it closes behind you, and the Warforged wheels it all closed. Um, you've still got a short hallway before you're out in the main warehouse. Now, you've been here before, and uh, it's pretty awesome. Honestly, um, because as you walk past these two gate posts, there's uh, another warm feeling on the back of your hand, and the pistols also get warm to the touch. Not too hot, but warm to the touch. And then the gri the, the grips of these new bolt casters you have just turn into Play-Doh, you know what I mean? Um, they're soft, they're gushy, they conform right to your hand. And when you've got them exactly where your hands are most comfortable, they solidify. Wow, that's amazing. Then there's a disembodied voice from, well, from this, the air around you that says, Welcome, welcome, Arabet. And then there's a display that just kind of hovers into view. It's uh, illusory, right? You can see through it but you can still see it well enough. It's one of these hologlyphic displays. And it's got your height, your weight, your age, your, you know, a pretty good representation of you and all the, you know, all the sore spots that you have, right? Um, doing this slow 360 rotation. It's designation level five. How do you want to proceed? And that's... Uh, Combat simulation, beat, target practice, urban range, labyrinth chase, go back. Urban combat simulation. Loading. And then there's like this uh, sudden rush of magic that goes and the place just transforms into a, a burned out neighborhood. And high above you in the sky, you can see uh, an ancient dragon circling and spitting fire while goblin zeppelins uh, bravely fight it from the earth. And, you know, there are, you know, hordes of dragonborn soldiers kicking indoors and throwing people around and, you know, the or dwarven invaders or whatever it is you want to go up against. Um, as you walk through the first few feet of the gallery, it's... Uh, gives you a few uh, different opponents which you can pick, uh, including like famous local gangs. So um, you choose opponents which are fitting your taste and uh, set it to medium hard. Medium hard. Now, who have you chosen for opponents? 
Imperial Guard. Ooh, all right. So as soon as you step across this line, you hear, that's him, stop! And you turn around and there's a like a quartet of uh, Imperial infantry pointing their gladii at you and starting to run in your direction. Aim small, miss small, breastplate shots. All right, so this thing has this weird ka-chunk sound. And then uh, there's like a, a slight flash, just a slight one. It's uh, almost the same as the one that happens when you blink. And uh, one of the simulated Imperial Guardsmen running at you with his boiled leather breastplate now has a bolt-sized a bolt sized hole in it. It just tumbles over in a shit pile heap. Aim bigger. Throat shot. All right, the next one, you with your offhand, you, uh, like, when the guy on the far side of the scrum looks to see his comrade go down, uh, he turns his head to the side and makes his neck wider. You uh, can't resist the target with your left hand. You take the shots. So roll it. Twenty-three. So this shot, twenty-three hits solidly. It's uh, more than you need, far more than you need. But uh, while the centurion turns, his face is still covered with his helmet. There's that one spot uh, just where the jaw and the ear meet that the helmet doesn't protect. And that's where you punch a quarter-sized hole through this simulation's neck. It falls over and evaporates into the mist and glitter of simulation death. And the bolt casters reload? You didn't even feel them move, but yeah, the weight hasn't changed. Maker, that's amazing. So, like these things are just just magic. For the next hour, you play hide and go seek with the Imperial Guard in the ruins of a dragon tormented wasteland circa the reclamation or sorry circa the crusades and uh find yourself you know kind of tired by the end of it but these things fit like nothing else you've actually managed to do some flourishes with them oh nice Like, you can twirl them like pistols. They hide like pistols. They're just, like, great big, bulky-ass, Blade Runner-looking pistols. Um, they're made of steel and wood, and the joining of these two materials is so beautiful and so seamless. These things are dwarf-made, and uh, looking at them, they're by Burley and Armstrong in Stonegate. You know, the world's finest weapon makers. I stride off the range, totally convinced I've made the best purchase ever. 
as you walk down the, as you walk by the range, there's one of those little tiny, one of those little side room ranges. And you see Timothy is, uh, got a bucket of bolts there, like the, the two penny bucket of bolts, just shoot them all down range, just pick them all up and bring them back when you're done. Don't try stealing none, right? Um, and like, he's about halfway through a bucket of bolts by the time you're done, but uh, he's exhibiting some decent form. However, he's got to learn to keep his elbow up. I enter the room behind him. He's pretty focused on what he's doing, which is uh, trying to shoot a hobgoblin off of a roof. Elbow, elbow up. Well, he kind of whirls around at that. His shot goes high and he's like, oh, geez, spit. What are get you your, doing, man? Get your elbow up. Calls it okay, sorry. Turns around. He's like, like this. Yes, Timothy, that's it exactly. Now hold it strong and let it do its work. All right. And then he takes his shot and he pegs the simulated hobgoblin off the roof. Do that a dozen more times and you'll be set. When he knocks the hobgoblin off the roof, there's a sign, there's a, the number 200 appears briefly in the simulated sky above it. Like, ready go and now it's you know charging goblins in a warren with uh you know like entering like five entrances in front of you and these goblins come pouring out with uh various weapons or armor or anything like that and you got to try to get them and timothy's just like draw load aim shoot Draw, load, aim, shoot, right? Like, but he's still chunky with it. Timothy, it's a rhythm. Well, you've always said, but you've just like I can't get show me. Okay, like this. Line them up in a row. Keep the bolter aimed towards the group that you want to shoot. Then you take them one by one. And very smoothly, it's, you know, it's draw, load, aim, shoot, draw, load, aim, shoot, draw, load, aim, shoot. You, you start smoothly and slowly, and slowly and smoothly, as you can, as your, you know, as your bolts just keep nailing targets because it's just easier when you let your hands do their own thing and follow that rhythm and it's just like draw load aim shoot draw load aim shoot draw load aim shoot and finally you've got it down so smooth that it's you know you can do it you can do it two-handed by putting uh by sticking a couple of bolts in the ground in front of you right or on the desk in front of you and you're just do, 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 showing them how fluid it becomes and uh he's just sitting there amazed and he's got like five bolts left in his bucket and uh by the time you realize that you've shot probably 15 of his bolts off okay timothy 
take the bolt caster, five smooth, even shots. Don't think about it. Don't think, just do. Well, by now, it's uh, the hooded guildsman part of the simulation. And these guys are pretty dodgy. So we're from where Timothy stands behind the firing bench, um, out in front of him, there's all this kind of dodgy hooded classical thief figures um, flitting from shadow to shadow and cover to cover. And uh, when one climbs up to peek over the chimney, Timothy just plug, right? And then he chunk, chunk, boost. He nails another one from between another set of chimney pots. Well, they're not trying to climb chimneys anymore and he can't see them. So speculatively, he takes a breath, aims into the deepest part of the shadow and just shoots, right? Now, there's no reason to believe that anybody's there, but there's a wet thump and a, uh, and there's a, like, you know, glittering dust. So there's one left. Timothy has two bolts. He should get it, right? But uh, he hears a scratch and shoots at it speculatively. Nothing. He's got one bolt now, one target, and it's sneaking up on him. If he gets to the desk, he fails the simulation. Would you please roll a d20 for me? I rolled an 18. All right, well, that's what the assassin got. Let me see what Timothy got. Would you believe it? It's a tie. So, as the simulated assassin, the simulacrum assassin, the man with no face but a hood and all the other good bits that make him look human-esque, comes leaping out of the shadows with a dagger. Timothy loads, draws, or sorry, draws, loads, shoots, and pegs this guy right between the eyes. Stepping aside, the simulated body turns to, you know, uh, sparkles and dust when it passes the desk. He gets it just in time. You've earned that rig tonight. Oh, well, thank you, sir. I've, I've always thought it was worth, you know, practicing a bit. You've, You've always been a good inspiration, and I just thank you for the lesson tonight, and for all of this, and for everything you've done for my dad. I can't thank you, sir. I can't thank you enough. Timothy, we're just getting started. So, we drift off into a comfortable, drunken slumber. Um, you have to hang your one leg out from under the cover because A, you're a little warm, and B, you, you kind of got to put it on something solid. You know, you get a little spin there. For, but you get a grip on it and are soon asleep and snoring away. Um, radiating soft warmth into the chilly room. Now, that's where we fade out on the room and open up on the view from the stands and there's three ogres and a bunch of orcs 
all kind of bumbling around and conferring with each other at the one end of the arena. And in the other end, on a chariot, comes riding in the crowd favorite, the up-and-comer, the, like the, the people's champion, the sorcerer of steel, with his big foamy beard and his chiseled physique and, you know, his trident held up high, and the crowd just loves him now, right? And Magma, your collarbone still aches from where you broke it, and, you know, you're still healing up from that, from that fight. And, uh, you know, he makes a big lap of the arena, and everybody's on their feet cheering, and women are throwing flowers and unmentionable... All this other sort of thing. The governor finally calls it to a halt over his shout stump. And, you know, the horses and the chariot taking off and you're how and he takes off the cape and he takes off the helmet and his long sea foam beard spills down over his chest and his long hair spills down over his back, right? And it's just like this constantly flowing waterfall look just pours off at the end. It's almost waist length. Now, Del Verano is a big dude. He's like six foot four and probably 230 pounds and he's just solid he's been a gladiator now 20 years and these ogres are uh well you know they're at least two feet taller than he at the shortest um the orcs are twice as thick but i mean once the games are called on and the whole mob rushes them like all but one of these orcs is done for the last one is this uh skinny little prick who uses the ogres as cover and, uh, you know, that's good because you figure your uncle's going to play it out at the end for the crowd and chase this little fucker down to the corner and then ask the governor what's what with this guy's fate. Like, he'll, he'll spare him or he won't, but uh, Del Verano will make a big show of scaring the shit out of him for a while before he asks. Like, you've seen this. It's, it's almost scripted by now, right? And so, like, you're itching at the salve that's been rubbed deep into your skin and, like, you know... The, sling which is chafing your neck you know fidgeting and chewing on your rat on a stick and uh watching this whole thing go down and he, he makes short work of these but then you don't see it because he's on the other side of the ogre the ogre is between you and del verano but it happened the show stones have it all the next morning it's all in three-dimensional now this is before they started making the move right that's only happened in the last 20 years but you know there was still images of Del Verano getting stabbed in the back of the neck with his own trident by this skinny little orc, you know? And, and you just remember the way the bottom of your guts dropped out in that day. He just fell over. He was, he was dead. He was dead before he hit the sand. There's nothing else for it. And the orc was, you know, raised the trident in triumph. You never saw that trident again, by the way. Probably just as well. I mean, you, what do you want that for, right? Fame is the enemy of notoriety, you see. Over to you. Um, yeah, she'll probably replay most of that. Just that, you know, like, standing up sort of in slow motion and, like, her head kind of tilting to one side. You know, her eyes kind of wide, but this expression of, like, that's not supposed, that's not the way this is supposed to happen. Um, and almost like, everything in the arena completely fades for her like terms of like the sound and like the smells right it's almost like she gets this sense of of tunnel vision and she's and on her feet yeah she's on her feet and reaching out and like name is coming to her lips but all things else are fading out to the tunnel okay yeah and it's not del verano that's not the name that comes to her lips it's 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 uncle not 
you know, his stage name. Um, and it's just, it's caught in her throat. She just cannot get it out. And it's like reaching and she's almost leaning forward. Like she's going to try and jump over the edge to the ever loving tar out of this, this skinny orc, right? Like trying to pull off, like rip away at the, um, at the sling and, and trying to push off the, the, the poultice and is like, you know, just totally willing and able to, to throw down. But I mean, she can feel that something or someone is holding. It's the crowd and you can't get through them because they're on their feet. They're, they're chanting this guy's name and it's, it's like three syllables. You don't remember because you're just in such shock, right? I mean, you didn't have to train at the Lutus for the next two days to, to grieve him. But uh, I, I mean, like the, the dream fades from there. And uh, the next thing is uh, when you and Blaze fought a water elemental for the proconsul of Doberland, you know, in the in their grand gallery in Oddstadt. And what that is, is um, it's a Circus Maximus. It's a great big circle. It, it, it's got three, it, it's got rings that elevate and lower. And like you can say it's, it's awesome. It's um, if you remember the old American Gladiator show or you know the new American Ninja Warrior trend. Yeah, I know the one. It's exactly like that with combat. So. Oh yeah. So she's probably using like bits and pieces of the obstacle itself to kind of, you know, like jump off of or do you know like spinning kicks off of or for sure you know. it's it, it's you and blaze twin flames darting around this water elemental which just gets bigger as it gets matter like when they came out into the like they, the the course was set and in the center of the course was this big blue diamond all like the stands are packed because you know you and blazer you've got you're getting a following right um so i mean you and blaze enter on opposite ends of the arena and like wave to the crowd like you do and uh, the thing is to solve the obstacles and touch the stone before the elemental is released, unfortunately. Um, like this, you and Blaze, let's just say that there was a lot of drinking and, you know, other substances and enjoying yourself to really good, loud music well into the early hours of the night instead of hitting the course at six in the morning. Right? I mean... The crowd loves struggle anyway, right? Like the only way to get to this diamond would have done it would have been to do the, the course flawlessly. But that's not what the crowd wants, right? And besides, you and Blaze, you, you have time to relax and uh, enjoy yourselves. You should enjoy yourselves. I mean, you could be killed any day on the, on the, you're part warrior, you're part stuntman. Like your life is at risk every time you step onto these, right? But uh, never better than this. I mean, this is, this was, uh, yeah, this was just, this was the second to last match before you, uh, before you fell from grace as it, and it was a good one. It had a million viewers. There were booking agents who were coming to start to talk to you and Blaze about maybe doing a tour just as a pair, right? Instead of with the whole Lutus. Things were looking up. You were on your way. But. Uh, no, no, there was that that fight. It was like I mean, yeah, all the jumping around and blasting with fire bolts and you know running up walls and kicking this thing and finally beating it. Right, like let's not forget you and Blaze eventually boiled the thing into steam. But it was a there you go. There's another steam moment, right? 
Yeah, I was about to say, it's, she probably sort of took like maybe four paces and kind of got that look on her face like, huh, good to see you. And then just kept. And like, you know, as that fades out, you can kind of see yourself from the third person and slightly from like, like about three feet away and slightly down uh, from the perspective of about a 12 year old child looking up at your pensive features kind of considering this is, you know, your hair is, your hair is fritzing and sputtering and, you know, hissing. Um, and, you know, like you, you got, like you're kind of giving the two finger wave to the, to the crowd, you know, like, yes, yes, beauty queen sort of, hi, yes, yes, we did this. Um, Blaze is standing atop a broken ops and like just playing the crowd like Ric Flair, right? And they're eating it up, right? You're being a lot more demure about it, but uh, Blaze is whipping them into a fury. Not dream fake. And you wake up the next morning and your head feels like it weighs about 30 pounds. There is a vicious beam of sun slanting cruelly through a high window in the peak in the room. You're on the end. And uh, there's a round window close to the peak. You don't even know where the hell you are. Um, you open your eyes and survey the room and it's like a typical 15 by 10 by 15 gray walled fireplace in one chair one bed bedroom and sitting on the chairs mr Locke calder mr calder would you for the benefit of the audience who has no good description of you please describe yourself Locke calder is a quite nondescript he's he's uh unmistakably half elven uh little gray at the temple, uh, a little uh, little uh, mustache and uh, goatee. He's got a, a large and, and quite well-appointed coat. Uh, he also has a, a number of pockets, just pockets everywhere, uh, dressed very finely, fantastic shoes, a lovely walking stick. But he is well-adorned, ring on every finger, little odds and bobs everywhere. Uh, you have the sense that at any moment, anything could pop out of anywhere and and you think you'd kind of like that. It's uh, quite curious. Almost a street magician charisma sort of vibe going on there. Uh, yes, but upscale, nothing off the rack. Of course. A absolutely. Always a twinkle in his eye. Very good. And uh, anyway, they're setting a tray of biscuits and other particular delectables including the good scones the whipped cream and the amazing butter and a steaming hot pot of coffee Mr. Locke Calder uh, not only that because uh, I, I, I have I've yet to nurse uh, Miss Magma from uh, from a, a hard night of drinking girly drinks uh, previous so uh, also uh, you find a flagon of good cold beer and a couple of uh, a couple of sticks with some lovely rat on. She kind of wakes up, blinks her eyes a couple of times, very confused, sort of pushes herself slowly up on the bed, hasn't let her feet slide out yet. She kind of sits in a lotus position on the bed and is just looking at things with her head kind of cocked to one side. Well, Miss Magma, welcome back. We're at the, uh, the cottage that Nari has procured for us from Thrasher. If, if you remember that, 
I'm, I'm not quite sure how much you're remembering at the moment. Well, um, I, I do feel like I've got about 30 pounds of shit in a 15 pound bag for a headache, but I'll survive. Where were we? I recall we were at Bronze Truths. Yes, we went to go see Jahiris. Why is there all this food here? I, I, I'm not entirely sure. What are are you are you feeding me, Mister Calder? Why, yes, you uh, you weren't quite uh, up to providing for yourself at the end of the evening, and I I suspect at this moment you could use some assistance. That's what I'm here for. Oh, I'm sorry. Is uh, is the sun in your eyes? And with a flick of my hand, I'll cast Prestidigitation and make just make it darker. Just blots out the the streaming sunlight to make it a little more bearable. Turns it down to a shade 11. She's like, that's a bit better. She kind of slides her her feet out of the um, out of the bed and sort of looks to put them both on the floor. And you can almost see her feet flexing as if to do the, yeah, okay, this is this is here, this is solid, this is wood. And just sort of kind of slowly kind of testing where she's at in terms of her either the nausea or or the muscle ache, you know. And she kind of looks over at things and kind of looks over suspiciously at Calder and is like, we didn't do anything last night, did we? Oh, heavens forbid, no. I, uh... I ensured that you were tucked in safely for the evening. That is all. You can't quite tell if she's surprised or insulted. <laughs> it's hard to tell. But she is giving you this kind of look of, of well, that's a very interesting, uh, okay. Um, she kind of slowly starts to kind of stand up and, you know, the braid is, it's, I mean, it's still in there, but it's, it's looking more like it's a faux hawk at this point. So she grabs the end of the scrunchie, like the end of her braid and pulls the scrunchie out and is using her fingers to kind of pull all of her hair out of the braid um, as she kind of wobbles in the direction closest to where the coffee is, um, but ends up sitting down about halfway on the floor and is just looking at the coffee very forlornly. Called her... Uh... Uh, pours her a cup and uh, stands up, moves his chair closer to her so he can sit next to her. He hands her the cup of coffee, carefully making sure she takes it with two hands. And as she has her first sip, Calder says, you were certainly in no condition last night. Besides, this bed is far too small. She gets this grin on her face and you can literally hear the come from her. She goes, indeed, I like to break myself out. If I'm... Thank you for... She takes another sip and kind of looks at him and says, this has been the first time that I have found myself in a position of vulnerability and someone taken advantage of me. Well, Magma, I, I would not dream of it. And I'm sorry that this is a new experience for you. But I can assure you, as long as you're in my company, it will not be the last. She kind of looks at him a bit suspiciously again and is like, is there something in particular then that you are wanting from me that you are providing me with the coffee and the baked delectables and the rat on a stick? 
nothing more than your well-being and happiness. And with that, there's a polite tap at the door. Caldred gets up and uh, he very discreetly opens the door, uh, not even an inch. He peers out and says, yes? It's Nigel. <laughs> Nigel the Kobold. Her laundry's finished. Lovely. Well done. I will see you later. I take the items from him, which I imagined is uh, like a nice uh, set of folded laundry with two uh, sparkling boots on top. I uh, turn around and I uh, put them on the chair uh, that I was just sitting in and say, um, take your time. Whenever you're ready, we're downstairs. And then I leave. Um, one more thing. Well, uh, the bathroom's ready, all clean. Uh, the tub is hot. If there's anything wrong with them boots, um, let me know. I'll have the polisher whip. Cheerio. Well, those kobolds certainly are thorough. Is that a burgeoning romance I sense, Mr. Calder? You're just making things up now, man. I think you should uh, rewind, listen again. It's uh, it's just not there. Clearly just friendship. I, I get it. Okay. This, uh, this episode, our dramatis personae was... The notorious Nari Hulu and all his other personae are played by the infamous Eric Martin. The ephemeral Ziva Hulu is played by the glorious Shireen, the mad fishmonger. The skulking Erebet is played by the suave and sophisticated Christopher Stockovitz. The addicting Mr. Stitch is played by mighty Fenris, the unquantifiable Corey McJanet. The magnificent Magma is played by the inimitable Shona Mulligan. And finally, Master Lock Calder is played by the humble and very modest Chanyo. If you've got a favorite, tell us about it. Once again, reach out. We're runelanders at gmail.com. You can find us on Twitter at Cast the Runes or on Facebook at our Facebook page. Let us know what you think. Rate us, review us. Go to your latest, po- go to your local podcaster. Jot something down. We want to hear back from you. We promise we're going to read it all. And uh, who knows? We might even read it on the podcast. Also, a shout out to some of the amazing people that we get to work with. Uh, thanks to our amazing logo, to Liz Gist. Uh, you can see her or find her on Twitter at, at crit underscore Liz. Uh, we also have some fantastic character art uh, by Fabrizio Fioretti, uh, who is on Twitter at, at Fabrizio Art. Uh, also, he just uh, he just launched some uh, great new uh, content for D&D, Eldritch Engines, Steampunk Magic Vehicles, uh, and also uh, Don't Miss... Cyphrills, a new playable species of lizard folk with amazing psionic powers. Check our show notes for links so you can check those out and buy them. Definitely now. worth the investment. Uh, I can certainly think of several uses I'm going to put those engines to. Some good compact rules by uh, somebody who really loves the hobby. Um, and our look, as mentioned by Liz Gist, the uh, whole Runelanders aesthetic came from her. If you have any sort of work like that, find her on Twitter for sure. Now, you'll notice that we have a fairly extensive soundtrack in this podcast and that's thanks to our SoCam license we're licensed to play I just love the, du- the double entendre there uh, Sean pointed it out earlier and I, I can't get over it um anyway our song credits for this episode uh, we opened and closed with interstitial music from You Know I'm No Good it's an instrumental version but it's the song made famous by Amy Winehouse 
Throughout the episode, we had excerpts from Innocent When You Dream by Tom Waits, You Better You Bet by The Who, and All You Ever Wanted by The Black Keys. Links to his soundtrack, lore, character bios, all kinds of good things can be found at runewise.game. Drop by and leave a comment there. Like I said, we'd love to hear from you. That's all we've got for this week. But next week, the Rapscallions spring their rat trap. Come back and catch all the action, thrills, and adventure next on RuneLanders. Till then, I'm DM RuneWise. And this is Master Lock Calder. Take care.